Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. This podcast is made possible by the Promethean Project, a nonprofit wellness center creating a one stop shop for mental, physical, holistic health and wellness. For every $100 raised, the Promethean Project is able to help one person in need through different programming, such as the Ryan Odeon Leadership Initiative, the Jared Koslick Mentorship Program or the Strengthening Healthy Families program. Please visit the prometheanproject.org backslash donate to help us make a difference. Hello and welcome to episode eight, Breakers. I don't know if that's what we're going to stick with, but that's something I'm playing around with is naming the listeners to the podcast Breakers. Um, So hit us up at our email if you like that or if you dislike it. um, Let us know what you're thinking. So episode eight, I got to sit down with Michelle Hayward, a good friend of mine uh, who also went through the Startup Accelerator at uh, Valley Venture Mentors, same as uh, episode six. Oscar. So we all actually knew each other and Michelle was wonderful enough to sit down and be part of our podcast for this episode. Michelle is a founder and CEO of a startup called Positive Hire, which is a tech company that's engineered to bridge the gap between enterprises and the women of color in STEM. She's an experienced project manager in the energy sector, armed with technical sales and technology transfer experience. She has a degree in civil engineering and a master's degree in industrial management. Uh, She's amazing. Her mission, we get to talk a little bit about what that mission is and we dig into Positive Hire a little bit more. We get to talk about the nuances of the industry of STEM, the lack of women of color in the C-suite, and Michelle's mission to change that and to create a positive culture for women of color to be in management for STEM companies. We talk a little bit about her own journey and how that's affected her push for this startup. And then we talk about how important culture is for people to feel comfortable, to feel heard, and then also just to stay in jobs um, or careers that celebrate their culture. Michelle's lovely to talk to. She's very funny very humorous. She's a huge geek like me. We even mentioned The Flash and Black Lightning. Without further ado, here's episode eight. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope 
is to break the chains and find our flame. Today, our guest is Michelle Hayward. Um, Michelle and I met at a Valley Venture Mentors uh, startup accelerator, and she's just a lovely person. So I wanted her on because her business is really exciting and her story is really exciting. Um, and I think that, you know, once you hear it, um, it may mo motivate you to get out there and make a change as well. So, Michelle, welcome. Thanks, Steve, for having me on. Of course. I could talk to you all day, so. I know. <laughs> I could, too. <laughs> um, you, you know, I could introduce you a little bit better, but why don't you um, tell okay. the listeners out there kind of who you are and, um, you know, the beginning part of your story, and then we'll just talk more about uh, where you are now. Well, if you're not from the South, you probably can tell that I am Southern. So as I tell people, I was dirt dirt road born and raised in South Carolina, um, which is where I'm actually doing this interview from. And in that time, I was introduced to science, engineering, and math because I was really good at, you know, standardized tests and math, did well at school. And I ended up becoming an engineer um, and did corporate America for nearly 15 years. I worked anywhere from technology transfer, and you're probably like, what in the world is that, to technical sales. And then I did the bulk of my corporate career in heavy construction. I have a civil engineering degree from Clemson. And in that time, the 12 years that I literally worked in, in construction, I was always on the job side. I traveled for work extensively. I was always the, the only African-American woman engineer. Um, I worked on one project where there was another woman engineer who was a project manager in 12 years, and that was it. So okay. there was a huge disparity, right? That's, that's a huge disparity. And I wanted to change that. Um, I, I wasn't sure how to do it, but we'll, we'll get into that, right? <laughs> right, yeah. That's a, that, that is a long time uh, in those 12 years, just one other uh, woman of color that you, you're interacted with. Yeah, I, I talk to myself quite often. <laughs> well, at, le at least it's good company because, you know. I agree. See, we're good. See, I like this anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so you started noticing the problem that was there that probably didn't have a light shining on it whatsoever, um, and you decided you wanted to make a change. What were the first steps of that? So... So I knew we're always told when we go into engineering, at least as underrepresented minority, that there won't be a lot of us. What I noticed in the 15 years was how many of my friends from college, um, how many other women of color were having issues growing and building their careers. So back in 2015, I actually started a different business, which was to help more women and people of color get um, contracts in construction okay. because there it like diversity. I worked on capital projects, so anywhere from $350 million projects to over a billion. And I, not one time had I ever seen a contractor who was a woman or a person of color. And I was like, these are huge contracts. We should be in here making some money, right? Right, yeah. So 
Well, in that whole process, you know, you're doing customer discovery, you're talking to people. Women are telling me how much they're struggling in their careers. And women of color, like, they're just leaving. Like, I can't do this anymore. I'm tired. Um, you know, I'm tr- I've trained two of my managers, but I can't ever get the management position. So I decided, you know, I'm going to make a go of this. I'm going to make this work. Um, and I had, uh, this was, I got laid off in March of 2017 and I'd already decided I was going to leave in September of 2017. Right. Mm-hmm. So God, God works early. God, God works on his time. And I sure thought. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes it's a simple, like, Hey, wake up. And sometimes, uh, I was just talking to someone else in uh, earlier podcast and they were talking about sometimes it's just like a little slap across the face and sometimes it's an anvil that that gets dropped on you to be like hey pay attention exactly so and and really i had been pushing the the date back right and it was like you know what time's up it's like okay cool so at this point in time i decided i'd gone from the business model trying to get women and people of color into business to career coaching okay. and that is one to few. So even if I did group career coaching, I could do like I would be the coach and I maybe have 10 women, right? Mm-hmm. And we could do this virtually over a 90-day period. I went through and I tested that. It didn't feel like a good fit for me because I was like, okay, so if I do this four times a year, that's 40 women. Maybe I can, do, maybe I can go up to 25 women in a, in a cohort at a time. Right. That's 100. And I was like, that's still one to few. Like, what can I do to really, really change the trajectory of our STEM career? And something, um, I was reading an article, I think it was Entrepreneur Magazine, it said for 30 days, write down different business ideas. And I wrote down this idea like day four or five. And I kept coming back to that same idea for a week. And finally I said, I don't need to write down any more ideas. This is it. Yeah. And in that instance, what I decided was women of color in STEM needed something like a glass door. And that glass door, the website glass door, not an actual. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, I was thinking like Charlie in the chocolate factory where the elevator yeah. like shoots out of the factory. No, that, they were like, let me clarify this. We <laughs> I'm need glad a glass <laughs> And what I meant by a glass door, our experiences in corporate America, even in life in general, are different. So when you have what's called intersectionality, you look at race and gender. You look, and then you can add in age. You can add in um, sexuality. All of those are different intersectionalities, and that, right. and it comprises of who you are. But it also is how people can look at you and, and treat you according to your intersectionality. Right. So I wanted to say, well, how do I know what's written on glass door is a great place to work is from the perspective and experience of another African-American woman, late 30s, early 40s, who has two degrees. I don't know this. And so I said, there has to be a way to do it, and there was nothing out there. So that was my first thought was, I'm going to build this website. It's going to be WordPress. I can do a plug-in. Right. I did, I did a pre-accelerator, and then it's like, no, you have a tech company. I'm like, no, I just have a web, website. <laughs> They're like, 
<laughs> now, I'm already injured. I'm civil, so people already think, well, you know how to do this stuff. Like, no, I don't. Tech, tech is different. Every, yeah. every aspect of even engineering from mechanical, electrical, civil, biomedical, every, it's all different, um, different nuances in there. Right. So now I'm like, okay, so I have this tech company. Exactly what does this mean? And so I, I, I didn't even, even when I did this pre-accelerator, this was the fall of 2017. Um, and I didn't have a name for it. It was like, uh, yeah, you need to sit down and figure out a name. And in that pre-accelerator, I came up with the name Positive Hire, H-I-R-E. Right. And many people are like, well, how did you come up with the name Positive Hire? In part of my customer discovery, like early on, I talked to people in my circle, in my network, who worked in HR. And they always were conveying to me the negative things the management would say when it came to people of color and women of color. And I wanted us to be looked at as the positive hire and not the negative hire. And so I named the company Positive Hire because we bring so much to workplaces. Right. And but oftentimes hiring us is looked at negatively. Yeah, and so I, think, I wanted to change that perspective. I think when I first met you, which was was it the I think it was the pre accelerator accelerator yeah. at Valley it, Ventures when I first got to know you. And I just loved the name. It, it it's it's one of the names out of all the cohorts that were there that um that really represented exactly what you did. Thank you. See, you you got it. Um, and, and a lot of people don't. They they don't get it. And when I explain it, like that does make sense. And more women of color get the name. I think you're probably the first woman of color who at least told me they get, they got they they get the name. Um, so that so I went from I just thinking I'm career you know from teaching women and people of color how to get contracts in construction to actually starting a tech company to keep women of color STEM professionals in the career. And, and really what we focus on at Positive Hire is not just retention, but it's career advancement. One of the biggest reasons women of color leave is because their career stalls out. They cannot advance in their careers. And they're really excellent at what they do. I so I know so many phenomenal engineers, right? Mm-hmm. But what I get back from the employers when I started talking to them, well, we can't find you. And it's really a culture issue. It's not a pipeline issue. We leave because of the culture of how we are treated. So taking that glass door mentality and viewpoint is if I know where I will be treated well and I can advance my career, I'm more likely to go. That's what positive hire's goal is. By each of us sharing our experiences with current and former employers, we now can say, hey, this is a great place to be when you're 25 to 30, you're Latina, you're not married, and you don't have kids. Right. Um, Then, you know, when you're 35 to 40 and you have three kids and you're Latina, this is a better place to go because you're advanced in your career, they see your potential, and you won't be sidetracked or mommy tracked because now you, you have kids. Right. So that's what we really here to do. 
but it also does something else for the employer. And it's like, what do you mean for the employer? Employers oftentimes have multiple locations, and they have their own data internally where they're seeing their turnover among their staff. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to figure out, well, why is one location doing better than another? But a lot of times what happens, in it, and this is across the board from all employees, employees will not share the good or bad of, of their experience with an employer mm -hmm. on their exit interview. They're like, I don't want to burn a bridge because this is the hell I know, and I'm going, I might be going to a workplace. I may need to come back. Right. So they yeah. won't share that. What positive hires now, we're independent of that. So if you really want to know what the experiences are, we can give you that, and now you have more in-depth data as to what's going on into some of your lower-performing organizations as well as your higher-performing organizations that have less turnover of your women of color. And this gives employers the opportunity to say, you know what, let's go in and make these changes so now we're retaining more of our diverse talent. And so it's not as though employers aren't trying and that they don't have data. They may not have the right data or enough of that data to really understand how to make those differences and make those changes. Right, because I got to assume a lot of these bigger companies that work in the STEM field know that this is an issue, and I'm sure a lot of them are actually been have been held accountable. And so I'm sure they're looking to diversify a lot more, um, whether they actually want to do it or if they feel like they're forced to do it. So I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, like the two customer segments that you're talking about, It's they're huge, right? Yeah, they, they are. And, and like you said, there are some employers who are, who are being forced to do it. Tech right now is huge because there's a lot of backlash on the lack of diversity in it. And having been in STEM, oh, let's see, I finished undergrad 19 years ago. As a, This is a, a STEM-wide problem. Tech has been the high, high focus of it because it's newer to the industry, but it hasn't and, and it's in the forefront. So right. when you're looking at companies like Google and Facebook, um, Uber, and and most recently Oracle, who are sometimes sharing their, their employee, their virtual employee numbers, but you're also seeing them being sued for gender right. and race discrimination. So those things then actually have a correlation to the diversity in your management. Um, as well as productivity and revenue. So revenue, even though there has been documentation, there have been studies that show a more diverse workforce as well as management, especially management, increases your revenue. It hasn't been a driving force for many employers to really focus on how to diversify their staff all throughout the ranks in their organization. A lot of organizations will bring in entry-level people of color. Right. And those people turn over. And so they go through this cycle where they do that every single year, but not addressing why they're leaving. A lot of people like, oh, it's a pipeline problem. We do everything we can to keep them. But are you really addressing the issues they have? So it's, it's, it takes a lot of dialogue, and Positive Hire wants to be in the middle of that dialogue, meaning we're showing the employers what they're doing right and where they can improve from the information we're getting from the women of color. 
And that, in turn, helps them not get sued as much. I'm not saying it's going to eliminate it, but it helps them understand, okay, this this office in Atlanta has a more diverse management team than an office someplace else. And Mm -hmm. so you may be seeing less or fewer lawsuits, EEO suits, and complaints from those offices because you have a more diverse management staff. And you're like, well, what is having more diverse management staff? When you see somebody who looks like you and you're having an issue, you oftentimes will go talk to that person who looks like you, who reminds you of, of who you are and where you come from. When you don't have that same thing and you still may go talk to somebody about it, they may not be able to relate and really understand where you're coming from in your point of view. And so then they may push off and not see your complaints or your difficulties in that workplace as serious right. as it needs to be or, or don't take action quick enough. Wherein people who may identify with you do the opposite. And so sometimes because you have those people who look like you and they're taking action and they're listening to you, you may feel like somebody's actually going to do something, right? So you're less likely to go outside and file a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And I think employers are starting to understand that. But if you're a multi-billion dollar company, you may realize I'd rather just put cash on hand because we just want to get sued this amount of money because we don't want to invest in the amount of work it truly takes to create to create a more diverse workforce from bottom to the very top, as well as go through and train your people and start doing a cultural shift. Because cultural shifts are a lot of work emotionally and physically to an organization. And when I say cultural shift, um, it is truly going through and teaching, and and I do this with my nephews, my youngest nephew was telling his sister she throws like a girl. And I said, well, she is a girl. How, how else should she throw? Right. Because, I love that. I think that's so amazing. And, and so, but culture teaches boys that to throw like a girl is a bad thing. So now you have to go through and teach this whole organization to throw like a girl. It's normal for girls. Right. That's what they do. I see that in training, like personal training a lot too, is uh, knee push-ups. Everyone calls girl push-ups. And, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast before too. And, and, and that is something that's just ingrained in, you know, the fitness community. But it also I also see it in, you know, some of the women I train too. It's like, oh, I'm going to do a girl push-up. And I always... I always talk about like it's not really a girl push up it's a knee push up because it's a regressed form and I talk to the men that I train about that too is that there's no shame in any of that stuff and and we shouldn't categorize it by like what we see because I I've met so many strong women who who can out push up some of these men that I've trained before too Exactly and it takes us literally talking about it and people get how many of your clients come back like, okay, I know, it's not a girl push-up, it's a new push-up. And so you get some pushback. Right. And so it's, it's a lot of, of that work that goes on, and it really has to start from the top. You can't make this a cultural shift or change in an organization for middle management. It literally has to be bought in 
right. and valued at the very top and to work its way down. And the sadder part is if that top changes, like the driving force, if that person leaves or persons leave, that work may stop. Right. So yeah. now whoever comes in, if they don't buy into it, they haven't been a part of that process, all every every bit of that work could be lost. So it's really, really important that organizations from even their boards understand the work that's being done and and how much it takes. Yeah, and I think I love everything that you're saying. Like the cultural shift is so important in, in, in so many things. And from hearing you pitch so many times in, in the startup accelerator, um, what I really, I love everything you're doing, but what I really, really loved hearing about was you talking to the companies that you're hoping to work with and really evaluating them to see if they would even if you would even want to bring them into the process, because you really have to make sure that it's a right fit for um, the women that you're, you're putting in the workplace. I love that. And then the second thing I think you talked about in one of your pitches was not only are you looking at the company uh, culturally, but you're also looking at the area and the location culturally so that, you know, you can kind of match that up. Like you were saying for the 25 year old Latina really who's single really making sure that her needs of the location are, are, are out there. So, you know, feeling welcome in, in the community, having stores that she feels familiar with or hairdressers or, you know, whatever it, it is like doing that work to make sure the culture of not only the company, but the community itself is, is really supportive. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. And, and let me, I'll talk to those two points, and, I, and I'll start with evaluating employers. So when I go through and I, I approach, with our approach an employer, they approach me about using positive hire to help them find more diverse talent, I do an assessment. And the assessment isn't to say has been whether or not we'll work with them. The assessment also helps me identify where this company are company is in making those cultural changes. Okay. So I can say, one, hey, you're, you're doing this work. Let's talk about how I can assist you before I will place women with you. The, the other thing is working with employers, I, and, I, and I call it being pH balanced. Um, just, just because positive higher and then I can take the T and the H and it's pH balance, right? Oh, man. You know, I, love, I love a good pun. It's so good. <laughs> so employers that we at positive hire have identified that they, and this is also from feedback from employees. So I'll, I'll kind of get into that. We call it pH balance because we've evaluated where they are in their cultural shift and being a more inclusive and diverse workplace. But what this may happen is it may be some of their locations are pH balanced, some of them may not be. Um, and so we're working out some of the nuances on that, but it really gives us the opportunity to sit down with employers and say, hey, you're doing this well, this is where we need to have improvements, we need to see improvements before we'll recruit for you. And it also gives us the opportunity to work with them. So now I understand 
who is in their diversity inclusion, who's in their talent acquisition, who are people in their upper management. And that gives me the ability to assist the women once they are placed in those organizations. So the deal is we don't want them to leave. We want them to be, the women of color, to be able to grow within an organization so it's less retention. So I would love to go out of business. And some people think that's absolutely weird. I would love for the day to come where you don't need positive hire. But what truly happens is people die. (laughs) (laughs) Right? People retire, whatever happens. Facts of life. So you're going to have openings. And I love that. So I'll still be here. But I want it to be as a whole whole other reason. It's not to help um, women of color advance their careers. It's because you simply, they've retired. They're no longer with that organization. Um, maybe they took an opportunity outside because they wanted to switch to a different part of STEM, whatever it is, and I want to be part of that. So so that's part of what we do with getting employers trying to figure out if they're pH balance, helping them to get pH balance, and then placing them. And we do take employers who aren't pH balance because for us, a couple things happen. You went into culture, and you talked about how I had to look at the location of jobs to see outside of the employers having opportunities, if that local community fits or would provide what women of color need. Right. So if they couldn't go worship or practice their faith, um, where could they go to buy foods that are traditional to the, to their culture? Right. Uh, where did they, like you say, where did they go to get their hair done? And these are some of the things that I've encountered, some of my friends have encountered. And so they have short-lived careers at organizations and, and companies and even positions that they love because the local community wasn't diverse enough for them to find what they need for them to feel a part of the community. So we look at that aspect, and I, when I talk to women of color and I'm helping them figure out, you know, where they want to go in their careers, we literally have this honest conversation, like, where will you not go? And then I can go back to employers, like, and, I, and I've had this conversation with employers, like, okay, this part is fine. I said, you're going to have a little bit of trouble um, in these areas. I said, but it's not impossible. I said, so let's just note that. And, and there are different tricks and things you can do to try to fit, um, get people in, in, color in certain roles in some of the less diverse areas where you may have a smaller diverse community, it, just letting employers know is, is, is going to be more difficult, right. but also letting employers know how else can we solve this problem. If you want more diversity in this management role, is it, can you track it? So what I mean is, can you tell them, hey, we only want you here for 18, 24 months, don't buy a house. <laughs> we don't recommend you buy a house. Right. Um, and not just them, but anybody that comes into that role for that particular location, and then say, if you do like it, then we have that 24-month window where you can go ahead and we will help you with home buying. A lot of times in companies, especially professionals, they help you with relocation, home purchases, stuff like that. You can write that into your policy so it's across the board for everybody, but not women of color. But you really need to say, hey, in order to get more diverse candidates at this location, how do we need to change some of our policies um, that encompasses everybody? And and that's truly important to sit there and address. I'm not saying no, it won't happen, but let's find a, the best opportunity 
and the best methodology to get more diverse hires and candidates to at least consider this? And what are some ways you can go about corporately to um, come up with new policies and practices to help keep that role? And sometimes I tell you the truth. There are some locations, it doesn't matter what color you are, what your background is, people come there like, oh, no, I would not be here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have a friend, um, she works for, uh, she used to work for um, a Fortune 10 company. Mm-hmm. And she was told me they sent an African-American woman out to this particular location. She took a role out there. She did not last six months. And they already knew historically they have a horrible time. This particular location, have a hor- they have a horrible time with retention. She left the whole organization like, she's like, no, it, it, like six months she was gone. So the company said, you know what? Nobody lo- no longer has to relocate to this remote location. Um, you just got to be willing to travel out there for one week a month. Okay. <laughs> so so they, they realize like we have to change something. And sometimes it, it's after you, they've exited when you make the changes. I want them to make the changes before they enter. And right. because it increases their 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 potential, the to actually retain that talent. Yeah, and I think what you were saying is if if you can retain that talent, if you can change the management, upper management to be more diverse, in the long run, the company's actually making more money. It's more productive, and they they don't have to set aside all the this money to pay for lawsuits. So it really behooves exactly. them to change culturally to kind of fit the dynamic that um, they're trying, you're you're trying to build and that we're all trying to build. Exactly. The, the cost savings are in there. Um, they just come on the back end for some employers. Um, so it's, it's really trying to convince somebody to pay money now for something you're trying to avoid in the future that you aren't 100% sure will show up um, if you're trying to sell your boards and your upper management on that aspect of it. Other people are like, this is the right thing to do. How do we make this happen? And you never, it's, it's difficult to find that out from organizations um, directly, especially internal to people. And I love talking to people, obviously. So I actually reach out to former and current um employees of color in organizations to get their taking their feedback on what the culture is like and of course I take into account their location how long they've been there but it's truly important for me to really get their experiences because I have to take that into account as to whether or not an employee is pH balance right that's I love that that pun the pH balance it's so good (laughs) it reminds me of uh Childish Gambino has a song um where who I just love anyways and he's t- <laughs> this is kind of off track but it's what reminds me of it is uh he's talking about how he has penthouses on both coasts and then he says pH balance and every time I hear you say it I'm like I know what it means but that's what's coming <laughs> coming up in my mind <laughs> which is kind of cool um how have you found like switching from you, you know doing the work um the civil work that you used to do to being in your own startup or, or doing that work of starting up on your own and making those connections, networking and, and business uh, planning. Um, there are, there are a lot of similarities, a lot of differences. The first difference is the pay. <laughs> um, That's a glaring one I, right there. 
Yeah, that that's a huge one. The the but truly the biggest difference is what time I start work. I start way later in the day. But the hours I work now, when I work construction, I would work fourteen hour days. Right. So for me to continue to work fourteen hour days is the same. You know, when I want to, like Fridays are cut way shorter. But I also get up with a different level of intention every morning. Like, ugh, it's Monday. I don't have that. Right. It's more of <laughs> what amazing. day is it and and when's my first meeting, <laughs> right? Right. Um, what deadlines you might have or. Exactly. Um, it's also um, even, even in construction, a lot of things that I learned doing construction project management even on when I did inside sales, are still the same. They're still practices I use. So always, it's always interesting to people how meticulous I am with what I have. I have an electronic calendar, but also have a handwritten planner that I still use. I take a lot of notes and thoughts on posts, and I work those out that I handwrite a lot of stuff. And in construction, you get drawings all the time. And you literally sit there making notes on the drawings um, whether you have to send them back to engineering, and then you'll type up the note electronically right. on a drawing and, and make those comments. They go back to engineering, or they may go to a contractor. To, to, anyway, they go to somebody else. It's the same, same, some of the same things I do. I understand timelines. I understand key performance indicators, cash flow. A lot of things that I learned in corporate, in construction, I apply every single day to what I do in my startup. That's amazing. And, and so there's, and, and it's, it, you know, it's interesting because everybody gives a bad, we're like, oh, you should never go and go work for a company. I'm like, look, let me tell you the truth. If you want to fail, fail on somebody else to die. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> right, yeah. You, they generally have a longer, they have deeper pockets than you do, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you get an investment up front, they have deeper pockets. Um, early in your career, learn as much as you can, of course. But if you can learn the stuff I learned um, reviewing invoices, I mean, at 28, was I 20, 27 or something, I was really reviewing $5 million invoices. I was understanding contracts and bid proposals. Right. Um, so there are things in there a lot of people don't value what you learn in corporate that I absolutely value. Like, yep, learn that in 20s. Yep, learned that in my 30s. Know how to do. I'm good in my 40s. So, I I truly appreciate what I learned in corporate. So I encourage anybody who's thinking about going out on their own to talk to people in their sales department, talk to people in their marketing department, talk to people in contracts, especially like these right. three areas. If you don't work in any of these three, sales, marketing, contracts. That those are the people you need to know and talk to. So I wish I would talk to somebody in marketing, <laughs> <laughs> but I I done inside sales and I did contracts and project management and stuff like that. And if you can get some experience doing project, a lot of people hate project management, but as a business owner, it's truly what you want to do every single day. And understanding processes and documentate documenting stuff right. will save you so much time. Um, so I think that's... I appreciate what I did. I think that's an amazing philosophy of life just in general, 
when you think about any work you do, especially just starting out, I, I see a lot of teenagers in the practice that I do and they're always talking about, Oh, I didn't take that job because they want me to work on Saturdays. And I'm, and I'm like, you're 17. You're working in a restaurant. You're going to work Saturdays. There's not a way to get, get out of that one if you want to make money. Exactly. But I, yeah. even looking back, you know, we have office staff and they take the, the co-payments um, from, from where I'm counseling right now. And they leave at four and I work until uh, later in the day. So I have to take the payments myself. And a lot of the adults that I, I counsel, they're like, do you know how to do that? I'm like, yeah, man. Like, I worked my way through yeah. college and, and grad school. I, I know how to process a credit card. Um, but it, it's really funny how how people don't think that that small yeah. stuff really sticks with you. But I've, you know, I used to mow lawns. I used to be a janitor in high school to make money. And that stuff still sticks with me exactly. in the work I'm doing now, even though they're not related at all. Um, the work ethic, um, the planning, and, and really just time management are so important in all fields. So I like that idea of even if you're not super enjoying what you're doing, take something from it as best yeah. you can be mindful while you're doing it. And that will only enhance your future goals, your future work, or even just how you go through life. Absolutely. I love that. If there is something to be, even if it's something you hate, you can learn from, you know what you're going to learn? I would never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> right. I had this, I, I, I went to this meditation seminar not too long ago and we talked about mindfulness, which is a big buzzword in what I do. But one of the presenters was talking about how everyone talks about being mindful in what they're doing and being focused and being on task and being present. But we, as a society, we always look at it as, oh, we can do that on, on things that we enjoy. And the presenter was like, we have to do that through everything, things that yeah. we hate, things that we don't enjoy. So I brought that back with me and, and I started working on being present and mindful while doing the dishes. And I have to say, I, I'm enjoying doing dishes now. My <laughs> wife will probably hear this and be like, sure you are. But if I can stay I mindful in that, <laughs> yeah, if I can stay mindful in that, that process, it's over before I know it. And I feel good that I don't have to put it off until later and then have to do a bunch of dishes. So it's just something that kind of wrong from what you were talking about is, is taking even this that you hate, like you said, well, I know I don't like that. So I'm not going back to that. Um, exactly. So that's awesome. So Michelle, I, I am, I have two questions, um, that I usually end the podcast with. So I'm going to ask you those questions then I'll, I'll let you take over, um, the podcast which you've been doing really well with this is probably the easiest podcast i've done because uh, you've, you've done a lot of the work for me because uh, you're so well spoken and, and engaging and again just to flatter you a little bit more your pitches were some of my favorite because you get you'd get people cracking up which a lot of pitches didn't do um so it was you know it was an honor to to see that um so my first question is if you could have, because I'm a geek, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh my god! Oh, I know, I know, I don't want to read people's minds because <laughs> I'm like, oh, 
Um, oh, wow. Okay, so I'm I love the TV show Flash. Yeah. And I like Black Lightning too. So Black Lightning's a good um, show too. It is. So I'm trying to think like okay, so back in about two I don't even remember. I'm trying to think what okay, so I would like to be able to go back to the past. Okay. To change stuff. But you know in the flash it's like Oh no! Now people disappear, or they yeah, change don't mess gender. with the timelines, Barry. <laughs> exactly. Like I guess that's not a good idea, but that's what I want to do. So then it's like, because then I wouldn't be me. I wouldn't have experienced some of the things I experienced. So, oh, um, a superpower. Okay, so I am going to say I said physically fight but I wouldn't get injured oh so kind of like uh, Luke Cage like your yeah. skin it just regenerate you. yeah exactly so healing but, and impenetrable skin that'd be cool exactly but I don't want to live forever okay <laughs> so like you know I gotta have an organ to fail or something you know but I don't want to live forever but I do want to be able to fight and defend. Because first of all, I was like, oh, that's a woman. They they definitely going to, like, blow me off. And they're like, oh, wait, you should have paid. And they'll be gone. And I'll be over. Fight's over. Right? Right, yeah. So, um, that's, so awesome. I'll, um, I, I, that's, that's the superpower I want. Okay. So second follow-up question is kind of similar, but more based in reality. Um, what superpower do you think you have currently? Um, so I, I don't expect you to be like, I can fly, but, um, more like, what do you think is your superpower? What qualities? Okay. So I'm going to go back to something you actually said, like when I pitch and cause I pitch on diversity and inclusion and people, honestly, a lot of people are tired of hearing this, hearing this, mm -hmm. but, and how I had people still laughing during my pitches, my ability to really connect with people. I would say is my superpower. Do I connect with everybody? No, because that's just not possible. But the, my ability to connect with people, whether it's through a podcast, through pitches, through live stream, or in person, truly are my superpower. And I, I literally will be on um, reaching out to people via LinkedIn. And people will message me back, oh, yeah, I've been following you for years on your live stream. I love what you're doing. And so I don't know. And so right there, it's, they connected with me, but now I have the chance to connect with them on a deeper level because I know they've been hearing what I've been saying the last two, three years or four years now for this 2014. But so to me, it's really being able to connect with people is my superpower. Yeah, I would take that hands down. Um, it's a great answer. Any last thoughts that you want to leave the listeners with? Absolutely. Dream big, but understand that dreaming big is only the first step. There's so much work in making that dream come true, and I want you to break those down to really, really small, small, small action items because over time, 
if you ever walked a mile and said, I can't go that mile, and you look back and see how far you've come, that's the same thing when it comes to dreaming big and taking small steps. You will look back and see how far you've come. And while you turn around and look ahead at how far you have to go, you've already started the journey, so don't give up. Awesome. I love how you just summed everything up in like five sentences, so that's great. All right, well, thank you, Michelle. It was an honor talking to you. It was great talking to you, Steve. And we'll see you soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, please outreach to us at info at org. If you want to learn more about the Promethean Project or if you would like to donate to our cause, you can reach us at thepermetheanproject.org. If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends. Please like our posts on social media and Instagram and on Facebook. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen. And remember that the most important step is always the next one.